read verses 28 through 33. This is the fourth Sunday of Lent, and we're continuing in our series. It's called Growing Up, Reaching for Spiritual Maturity. And so let's consider together what Jesus is saying to us. And these are his words from Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 33. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks, for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, I want to talk with you today about money. I want to talk with you today about how we use money, what we do with it. And in the spirit of Lent, let me invite you to just be real honest with yourself and with God this morning and say and acknowledge that all, all of us, at least most of us, at one time or another, have struggled with money. Some of us are struggling right now, and we have debt, and we have made bad financial decisions, or perhaps we are too materialistic, or perhaps we have not saved enough for retirement or for the kids' college fund. I wonder if any of this sounds familiar to you. It does, it does to me. Financial guru Dave Ramsey said uh, it's an American thing to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Right? We do that, don't we? Yeah, we're guilty. We're guilty. Uh, It's an American affliction known as affluenza. Affluenza. It's kind of like influenza, but instead of being an illness of the body, it's an illness of the soul, and it is caused by affluence. It is caused by living beyond our means. It is caused by trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's caused by a lack of awareness of just how good we have it in this community, in this nation, compared to our neighbors around the world. We have so much, and some people have so little. So how did we get here, friends? How did we come to this place of difficulty when it comes to finances? I want to suggest to you that almost all of our financial problems can be traced back to two incorrect ideas, two misconceptions about money, which are this. One, it belongs to me. And two, it's a private matter. One, it belongs to me. And two, it's a private matter. We have been taught and we have believed that what we have belongs to us and that money is a private matter. So let's talk about these ideas for a minute. First, we have believed that everything we have belongs to us. And so we use the term my, my house, my car, uh, my kids, my bank account, right? And we think of ourselves as owners. Now, this comes from a good place because your parents and my parents, they taught us to work hard, right? They said, nothing's free. You don't just get you know, the rent paid for by someone else. You must work hard. And so we learned to work hard. 
And uh, it started with good grades in elementary school, and it translated all the way into a good paycheck as you became an adult. And we understand in a capitalist economy, that's how things are supposed to work. And so the thinking goes, well, if I have earned it, I must own it. And if I own it, then I can do whatever I want with it, right? Because it's mine, and that makes sense. But is that what the Bible says? Well, friends, not exactly. Not exactly. The Bible says, in fact, that what we have, that what everyone has, belongs not to us, but to God. It belongs to God. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I love the King James. The King James says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Isn't that great? So the Scriptures challenge our idea of ownership. The Bible wants to say to you and me that what we have actually belongs to God, that everything in the world belongs to God, that even the people who live in it belong to God, your life and my life and the lives of every person around us. And we say, well, yes, Lord, but you know, I went to work this week, Lord, and I earned a paycheck and I spent that money on groceries and on the electricity bill and on the direct TV so that I can watch March Madness. Any UVA fans here this morning? Yeah. And a great cheer rose up from the crowd. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. So Lord, you're telling me, Lord, that this direct TV belongs to you and not me. Friends, consider this for a second. Where did we get the ability to work? Where did we get the intellect and the heart and the will to get up out of bed in the morning? Who woke us up this morning? Who gave us breath to breathe and lives to live so that we can do the things we are called to do? Of course, the answer is Almighty God, which means that our lives and all of our stuff, including all of our money, belongs to God. Whatever we have is a gift from God, or maybe actually it's a loan. Perhaps God has loaned it to us because we know that we are accountable to God for what we do with it. And so, friends, there will be a day in the end of times, there will be a day, and we don't like to talk about it very much, but there will be a day when you and I stand before God and we have to give an account for our lives. And one of the things we will give an account for is what we did with all of the money that we have had. And some of us are saying, all of what money, (laughs) right? I don't have that much. Come on. Well, think about it like this. Let's say you make $25,000 a year. Now, some of us make a little less than that, perhaps. Some of us make a lot more than that. But let's just say for sake of argument, you make $25,000 a year. If you worked from age 25 to age 65, 40 years, that means over a lifetime, you will have earned $1 million. Now think about what it would be like to explain to God how you managed that much wealth over the course of your lifetime. When you stand before God, God is going to ask you, what did you do with all of that money? And God is going to ask you, what did you contribute to eternity, to the kingdom of God? with what I entrusted to you. Misconception number one, it belongs to us. It doesn't really, it belongs to God. Misconception number two, money is a private matter. 
Less than a year ago, the New York Times ran an article entitled, We're All Afraid to Talk About Money. And I think it's true, friends. Most of us grew up with the idea that money is a private thing, that like politics and religion, we do not discuss it uh, at dinner parties. We do not talk about it in polite company, so much so that a lot of us won't even talk about money with people we trust, like family or friends. And we're reluctant to ask for help when we're in trouble, right? And uh, we don't give advice and we don't take advice. And we're, we're left thinking in those difficult financial situations, I must be the only one who's having money problems. And we're so embarrassed. And we say, well, I guess only the wealthy can have financial peace. Friends, the idea of money as a private matter, that is an American ideal. That is an American ideal that we have picked up along the way. But I want to say to you, it is not a gospel ideal. Money is not understood as a private matter never to be discussed. When you open this book and you read what Jesus said in the New Testament, you see very clearly Jesus spoke openly about money. Jesus talked more about money than almost anything else. And he never suggested to us that it is a secret. He never suggested to us that it is impolite to discuss it because Jesus understood that money is simply neutral. It has no value in itself only the value we ascribe to it. And so at the very least, Jesus wants us to use money as a resource to accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish with our lives. We read in Luke 14, Jesus said, for which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether you have enough to complete it? Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. And if he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. Friends, Jesus was never afraid to talk about money. Uh, it doesn't have to be a taboo subject. It's simply a resource. It's a resource for building towers. It's a resource for accomplishing the mission of our lives. And if we're going to learn to use it wisely, I want to suggest to you, we have got to learn to speak about it openly. Now, pastor, you're saying to me, you want me to disclose all of my personal finances to everyone and put it out there on Facebook? No, we're not saying that at all, friends. There are some things that can remain just for our own eyes. What I am saying, we have to stop treating money like a secret subject. We need to learn to talk with people we trust, with our friends and with our family and with our life groups and ask questions like, can you help me get out of debt? And how much is enough to save for retirement? Because I'm not sure I've got enough. And when you're giving, what organizations do you give to? Because I want to be a giver also, and I'm interested in supporting some worthwhile organizations. Friends, one of the best places that we are having these conversations about money is in our Financial Peace University class. About 25 people meet in Hughes Hall every Sunday afternoon for the last eight or nine weeks, and they're getting close to wrapping up the class now. Uh, but this is a group of people, uh, peers, encouraging one another in their financial stewardship of their households, and they are learning how to pay down debt and they're learning how to save more and invest more, and they're learning how to be generous givers because they're having honest conversations about money. 
And they're saying, this doesn't have to be scary, and this doesn't have to be taboo. We can talk about it together. Two misconceptions. One, it belongs to me. Two, it's a private matter. The truth is this, friends. One, it belongs to God. It belongs to God, and we are stewards. We are managers of that which God has loaned to us. And secondly, following the example of Jesus, we can speak openly about money without fear. If we can do these two things, if we can believe that everything we have belongs to God, and if we can speak openly about our resources without fear, we will be on our way to becoming generous people. Friends, today is the fifth Sunday in our series, Growing Up, Reaching for Spiritual Maturity. And all during Lent, we are talking about what it looks like to move in the direction of spiritual maturity, to grow up in our faith, to dig deep into those foundational ideas of following Jesus. And today, the mark of maturity that I want us to aim for is generosity. The Apostle Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, in some Bibles, instead of generosity, it says goodness, right? But it's also translated, and in the New Revised Standard Version, it's translated generosity. We know that mature disciples of Jesus are generous. In fact, I want to say to you today, you cannot Be a mature disciple of Jesus without being generous. You cannot be a follower of Jesus fully committed unless you are generous. And do you know why? Because we worship a God who is generous. God is generous with us. What's the most famous scripture verse in the whole Bible? John 3, 16, right? Which says, for God so loved the whole world that he did what? He gave. He gave this incredible gift of his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. God is a giver, friends. And if we are going to be the people of God, we have got to learn how to be givers in that same spirit. Now, it is my belief that all of the people in this church, in fact, I think most of the people I know want to be generous. We desire it. We think it's a good thing. We agree. We read that scripture verse. We say, yes, right on, Paul. That sounds good. It's just we're not always sure how to do it. Perhaps no one taught us, or we may we, we develop some of these bad habits along the way. And so I want to talk with you about what it looks like to grow in spiritual maturity according to generosity. And the best way that I know how to do that today, I've, I brought some props. So uh, this, is, this comes from my garage, and uh, this is the best way I know how to help us think about what it looks like to grow in spiritual maturity is to climb the ladder. Now, this is my ladder. Uh, actually, it's, it's my step ladder. I never knew my real ladder. This is, <laughs> the first one's free. So this is the ladder of generosity. And uh, the first step here, we, I'm, it's my conviction that we're all on the first step. Okay, nobody's off the ladder. So just imagine that you're on the ladder, you're on the first step. And the first step is what we might call random giving. Random giving, okay? So random giving is the idea uh, that um, we give just sort of randomly. Now, random giving isn't bad, it's good, but it's not intentional, and there's no real plan that we're following. So random giving is emotional, right? It's inspired. And so you see, uh, you see uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and you say, oh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation is awesome. I wanna support that. So you write a check, you know, you give me a credit card number, you send in a gift, 
and you say, I don't want to be a monthly giver. I'm not going to give every month. I'm not going to volunteer with the organization, but a one-time gift. And so, friends, that's a good thing, right? We celebrate. That's a good thing. We celebrate random gifts. But what I want to suggest, that's a starting place, not an ending place. Uh, a moment of generosity is not the same as a lifestyle of generosity. It's my conviction then that all of us are on this first rung. Nobody's off the ladder. Everybody's on that first rung uh, because all of us are givers. All of us give at least randomly, right? When your friend's in trouble and says, help, you help your friend, right? And, and when you hear an appeal for some opportunity to give, we all of us give at least here or there, at least occasionally to your school or, or to your church or to some charity that you believe in. And so this is a great place to start. Even if you give a dollar in the plate on Sunday morning, that one dollar is an acknowledgement. God, everything I have comes from you. I want to learn how to be generous. Here is the beginning of that for me. So that's the first step. Now, by the way, the, the steps on the ladder, these are not dollar amounts, okay? It's not $100, $200, not at all, not at all. The steps on the ladder are habits. The steps on the ladder are commitments, and so the difference between someone who's up here and someone who's down here is the level of commitment. It, it may have very little to do with the dollar amount that we give, okay? That's just my, my little fine print for today. Okay, the next step up on the ladder is percentage giving. Percentage giving. This is an intentional commitment to give a percentage of our income for the work of God in the world. Now, remember, uh, the, the rungs of the ladder are not dollar amounts. God's not going to love you more if you give more. God, God's not going to love you less if you give less. God already loves you with the fullness of his love, and uh, that, that is not going to change. Um, but we are invited to give generously. And so the story goes uh, that Jesus was sitting with uh, his disciples near the place where people put their offering into the treasury for the temple. And in Mark 12, it says, a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others because they gave out of their wealth, but she gave all she had to live on. Okay, so Jesus said, the poor widow, by putting in two small coins, she put in more than all these rich people Put in. Now, that's not true by a strict dollar amount, is it? Because they put in huge sums and she put in just two small coins. And so Jesus is not measuring by dollar amount. Jesus is measuring by percentages because she gave everything she had. She gave 100% of what she had. Friends, percentage is the way that Jesus measures generosity. So the next step after random giving is to give by percentage, to give a percentage of your income to the work of God in the world. So let's say maybe this year you are giving 2%. For some of us, I'm not sure we even know how much we're giving, right? We get to the end of the year and you do your taxes and you say, oh, okay, here's how much it was. So the idea here is you make a plan, you decide in advance. So this year I'm giving 2%. Maybe next year I'll grow up to 3% and the year after to 4%. Whatever it is, wherever you are, let God lead you in this idea. The idea is to make giving a priority, to make it important in our lives. You know, a lot of us assume that we will give more once we become generous people, but I think it's actually the opposite. 
We become generous people because we give exactly what we have to give. The next level up, the third rung on the ladder is tithing. Tithing is the biblical idea of giving away 10% of our income for the work of God. And so tithe literally means a tenth. Tithe means a tenth, 10%. Some people I have heard church folks who wrongly assume that a tithe is an outdated Old Testament concept. Friends, not true. Uh, The tithe is affirmed also in the New Testament. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, he said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So you see what's happening in the story. Jesus is criticizing, he's critiquing the Pharisees who were notoriously keeping the law, and they were tithing. They were so concerned about tithing that they not only tithe their income, they also tithe those little herbs, you know, that grow in the window in your kitchen, right? They were tithing 10% of the herbs, and Jesus is saying, look, look, you're missing it if you don't attend to concerns like mercy and justice and faithfulness. And so he says, you should do the one without neglecting the other. You should be about the ministry of justice and faithfulness while also tithing what you have to God's work. So it's not one or the other, it is both. Tithing is the biblical standard for generosity. Now, friends, let me say, it's not a magic number. It's not a magic formula that makes your problems go away. It really doesn't. Um, and it is not some way to earn God's love. God already loves you. Uh, God's not going to love you anymore if you give more. Um, And so there is a change that happens when we give more, but the change is not in God. The change is in us. We change as we give more. We grow in our discipleship. We grow in our generosity. The top rung of the ladder is extravagant giving. Extravagant givers are those people who have reached that goal of tithing and then gone even beyond it. And there are a few of you in this church who are extravagant givers. Uh, Extravagant givers are those who say, you know, um, God has blessed me in my giving and I'm ready to be stretched. And it turns out this tithing thing really isn't that hard. After all, I'm going to take my next step in faith. You see, mature disciples understand there's no such thing as I'm finished, like I've arrived. Oh, I'm done growing in Jesus. No, there's continual growth every day of our life. Another thing that mature disciples understand is that the the most meaningful life happens when we focus on others and not on ourselves, when we give to others and share what we have. Friends, mature disciples do not wait to give more until they have more. They give more of what they have right now because they trust God with all of these things. They trust God to provide exactly what we need. The Apostle Paul talks about extravagant giving like this. Ephesians chapter three, I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God through him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Friends, this is Paul's prayer 
for us, that we may be filled to overflowing with the fullness of the good things of God, because God is the one who is able to do not just what we ask and not just more than what we ask, but immeasurably far more than what we could ask for or imagine. This is the extravagance of God. Friends, our God is an extravagant God who made the world with a thousand shades of green when three would have done just fine, who has put hundreds of people in your life who love you, who has given us homes to live in and air conditioning when it's hot and heat when it's cold, who blesses us with friends and with family and so many things that we do not deserve. God is so good to us. And today God is saying to us, would you come and join me? Would you come and join me in this extravagance that I want to lavish upon the world so that they will know how much I love them? Would you come and join me in this kind of extravagant giving? I pray that we could say yes.